DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of seven books published by the Crossroad Publishing Company on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life. Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. You have really broke open for us a whole new way of looking at both of those different aspects of prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Is one of the things that we may encounter, whether or not we're actually praying, or if we are just using our imagination to kind of float away? I mean, how do we know if it's what we're experiencing is authentically with the Lord? That's... um such a valuable question. And I think if we apply that question to these two methods of prayer, the reflection, which is meditation, and the imaginative presence to a gospel scene, which is contemplation, my guess would be that uh, most of us don't really feel the need to ask that question too much as regards meditation, but more as regards contemplation. That is, when I'm meditating, reflecting on the meaning of the words, for example, of the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, and I'm pondering why Jesus adds in spirit, I don't think most of us have any question that that activity is authentically prayer and that the Lord Mm -hmm. enters into that. But because contemplation may be newer, we can have the question of whether this isn't all just my imagination so if I'm praying with the um, the calming of the storm at sea and I'm there in the boat as the boat is leaving the shore and things are peaceful, Jesus falls asleep, the rising of the wind and the waves, the fear and then the terror of the disciples, and I'm in the boat taking part in all of this, well, how do I know this isn't all just my imagination? How do I know that that's really prayer? The first thing we need to say in answer to that is that if we pray this way, imaginatively being present to a scene, We stand very solidly in a tradition of many saints and holy men and women before us who down through the generations have prayed this way. Obviously, St. Ignatius himself prayed this way, and he didn't invent this, as it were, but he found this in the pre-existing Catholic tradition in praying with writings like those of St. Bonaventure and others where he discovered this method of prayer. Uh, St. Teresa of Avila talks about praying with the the visible humanity of Christ. Francis de Sales certainly prayed this way. St. Jane Francis de Chantal, whom we've already quoted, and many others. So that if we do choose to pray this way, we can pray with the certitude that we are standing on the shoulders of many saints and holy people before us who have prayed this way. We're solidly Mm -hmm. praying in the Catholic spiritual tradition. And then I would also add that Scripture itself if we read it, is very often imaginative literature. That is, 
much of Scripture is telling a story. If we think of the, the first books of, of the Bible telling the story of um, the Israelites, for example, in Egypt and the passage through the desert and the rest, uh, many mm-hmm. things in the books of the prophets, Maccabees and so on, certainly the Gospels, um, much of them are telling the story of, of Jesus. Um, the last book of Scripture, the book of Revelation, is uh, intensely imaginative. It, it teaches truths precisely through a series of, imagina- of images presented to the one who reads. So that if mm-hmm. we pray with Scripture and engage our imaginations in doing that, then we are standing uh, very richly right within the nature of much of Scripture itself. Now, earlier we quoted someone like Catherine in her healing prayer when she prays with the passion of Jesus, and she says, I saw Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate, or I saw Jesus dragged off by those who were taking him to his death, or I, she says, I kept the cross before my eyes. In each scene, she is imaginatively praying with the scripture account, but obviously she's clearly reading the passion in the way that scripture itself intends us to read it. We are meant to see these scenes and hear these words and participate in that way. And we can also sense in something like the prayer of Catherine that we've just cited and many others. I quoted last time we spoke, uh, and I speak again with great reverence, of the woman who stood at the foot of the cross and everything grew silent and she just heard the soft sound of the drops of the blood falling from Jesus into the earth and each drop telling her how infinitely she is loved. Now, obviously, there's an imaginative activity there. They say I'll approach something, we stand on holy ground there, but to make a point, I think we can do it. This woman is imagining something, but we can sense, as I say that, how profoundly true to what the scripture itself is recounting in the Passion, her imaginative participation in it is. As, as she hears the sound of the drops of blood and each drop tells her how infinitely she is loved, she is grasping right at its very heart exactly what the account of the Passion wants us to know, that God so loved the world that he sent his only Son not to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Or Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the end. So that we have the freedom to pray imaginatively in this way, Because when we do so, our own very personal imagination is leading us very richly into the truth itself that God wants us to perceive and and to receive, and by which he wants us to be nourished in this particular scriptural passage. And I would add that, as Paul says, St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit comes to the aid of our weakness with sighs too deep for human understanding. And the same will be true here, just as the Spirit comes to the aid of our weakness when we meditate on the meaning words of Scripture, blessed are the poor in spirit. The same Spirit comes to the aid of our imagination when it enters into the richness of a gospel scene. I don't think any of us could possibly doubt that the woman who stands at the foot of the cross, where everything grows silent, and the soft sound of the drops of the blood on the earth, tell her how infinite she, infinitely she is loved. I don't think any of us could, could ever doubt that the Spirit is guiding that prayer, that the Spirit is coming to the aid of our weakness 
when we pray in this way. Now, this actually leads to, I guess I'd call it a theological point about prayer. There's a truth in our theology which underlies this kind of imaginative contemplation. Because a person could say, well, let's say I am imaginatively contemplating the birth of Jesus in the grotto at Bethlehem. Uh And I see the scene, the poverty and simplicity of the scene, Mary, Joseph, the newly born child, uh, all the sights that one would see in a place where animals are kept. And someone could say, that's fine, but that happened 2,000 years ago. This is 2,000 years later. All right, it's true that these events happened in history 2,000 years ago. But the power of these events, the saving power of these events, the birth in any of the moments in the life of Jesus, the saving power of these events, or or the exact theological word is the grace of these events, is not linked to the past but is available to all who believe in Christ down through the centuries. The event is situated within a time, precise time within history, but the saving power or the grace of the event is available to all at all times with the same freshness and richness as when the event originally occurred. Wow. In fact, our, our whole annual liturgical cycle is based on that truth. That's why we celebrate a Christmas Mass on December 25th, or remember or celebrate um, the Last Supper on Good, on Holy Thursday, or the Passion on Good Friday, or the Resurrection of Jesus on Easter, or the Annunciation, or the Ascension, any of the events in the life of Jesus. We do that not simply to remember events that happened in the past, but through our liturgical celebration, through our presence in the assembly at the Eucharist, as we celebrate these events, we have fresh access to the endless power of grace that was opened up for the world when those events originally happened. Now, if that's true on the level of the public prayer of the Church in the annual liturgical cycle, the same truth underlies our individual contemplation of these events in the life of Jesus. So that as I set aside 20 minutes or half an hour and contemplate the birth of Jesus in the silence of my room, in the quiet of a church, or in whatever place best helps me to pray, and imaginatively I'm there, and I see Mary and Joseph and the newborn child, and delight in the simplicity and the warmth and the love and the richness of that gospel scene, and my heart is touched. I am, in Ignatius' own phrase, I am disposing myself to receive the power of grace that is forever and always endlessly available to every member of the Church, the grace which entered the world when that event happened historically 2,000 years ago. So that, as I say, that's, that's the theological underpinning or the theological truth which makes possible, explains why something like contemplation is possible, and I think also uh, reveals something of the power in it. I think once we begin to see that, we don't want to be without this in our lives. That grace is always available to us. As always, God is only waiting for us to dispose ourselves to receive a grace that he is 
infinitely eager to give us whenever our hearts are open and available to receive it. Father Gallagher, would you say then that in our meditation and our contemplation that we enter into those private devotions such as the rosary or the stations of the cross, if we come with that disposition, that understanding and openness of our heart, that the grace from that can be very, very powerful. Yes, that's, it's exactly the same truth that's at work in something like the Stations of the Cross and the Rosary. And I think you can sense that both of those are very contemplative in the Ignatian sense, imaginative forms of prayer. That's why the Church has the image, actually, of the Stations before us to assist with that. Uh, we probably read descriptions of the event of each station. What we're doing in the Stations of the Cross is following Jesus as he walks the way of the cross. And you can see that's a very imaginative activity. And the same thing is true of the rosary. As we contemplate the various mysteries of the rosary, I'm thinking now of that um, wonderful letter on Mary that Pope Paul VI gave us in 1975, if I remember correctly, in which he talked about, on devotion to Mary, it's the title of it, in which he talked about the rosary and spoke of the rosary's nature as a contemplative prayer, precisely in this sense. We contemplate the various mysteries or events in the life of Jesus. So what we're talking about here in terms of Ignatian prayer with Scripture, once we've learned the method or we see the truth of the method, can be it can be applied in many other forms of prayer in our lives as Catholics and Christians and followers of the Lord Jesus. We'll return to Praying with Scripture with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, you gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ your Son, a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary, and by his very life he taught fidelity to the Church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth, that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Praying with Scripture with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'd like to pick up with the point that we were discussing last time when um, we were in conversation. And this is St. Ignatius' teaching about the freedom that we have to remain in any point in the Scripture where we are finding, as he says, what our hearts desire. In the point where I am finding what I, would, what I desire, there I will rest without anxiety to go forward. And I'd like to give one final example of this uh, before we move on. And I'll take this from the writings of Georges Vanier, father of Jean Vanier, that we may know as the founder of the movement of L'Arche, uh, the, the movement of the Ark, in which volunteers live together with and serve people with disabilities. And just mm-hmm. very beautiful movement spread throughout the world. George was the uh, Governor General of Canada, the highest political office in Canada, and uh, widely, widely esteemed. On this particular day, he is describing what happens as he begins that half hour of prayer. Today, as usual, he writes, I started by thanking God for allowing me to come to see him. Then, as is my custom, I said I had come to adore him, creator of heaven and earth. After a minute or two, I think, but I am not sure of the time. I said to him that I wanted to love him more and more, that I know he loves me. I asked him to show me how to love him as I did not know and needed his help. I then had a surprise. I began to repeat in a way that was both intense and spontaneous that I loved him, thanking him for giving me the grace to love him thus. For some time I could not, and he underlines the words could not, for some time I could not move on to the next point, but kept repeating that I loved him and wanted to love him more. I never passed on to the next point. I was held back at this moment of love and also had no desire to leave it. With reverence, because again, this is lovely, holy ground in this man's relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Probably without knowing Ignatian teaching or vocabulary, but with a very sure spiritual intuition, Georges does hear exactly what Ignatius counsels us. He finds with surprise as he's moving through the points of his prayer that one begins to absorb his heart. Just telling God over and over that he loved him, thanking him for the grace to love him in this way, and finds that he simply cannot move on to the next point in his prayer, but stays here simply repeating over and over to the Lord that he loves him and wants to love him more and never 
ever does get past this point in, in his prayer. That, that's exactly what Ignatius is counseling us when we meditate or contemplate with a scriptural text. Now, we had spoken earlier of the transition into the time of prayer and how St. Ignatius invites us to take the space of, a time that it, uh, of time that it would take to say in Our Father and to lift up my heart on high and consider how God our Lord is looking upon me. If I can go back to that simple example of the two chairs, when the one chair is turned face to face with the other and our eyes meet, looking at God, looking at you, as we said at that time. The same thing is also true on the other end of prayer. So I'm getting now to the end of the 15, 20 minutes, half hour that I spend this day praying with Scripture. St. Ignatius also has some very simple and very profound counsels on a gentle transition out of the formal time of prayer and into the resumption of activity in the day which will follow. Because to use again the same analogy we used before about transitioning into prayer, the two friends who meet at Starbucks Starbucks for an hour's conversation give themselves that transition time into the conversation as they get settled and say the more surface kinds of things that come to mind Later, as they speak and the conversation flows freely, they enter into a deeper kind of communication where heart really speaks to heart. It's, it's clear, too, that human hearts cannot simply move immediately and directly out of that kind of deep communication to the resumption of activity. But hearts need transition space out of such time as well. And in conversations of that kind, we know that instinctively. And the last things that will be said, uh, we both know, are, are on a more surface kind of level. But we need that, that more simple level of conversation, that brief space in which we say goodbye to each other, allows us to transition out of the deep heart-to-heart communication and into the activity which will follow. Now, St. Ignatius' counsel on a gentle and rich way to transition from the formal prayer into what follows. That is, a way to live the last few minutes, perhaps, of the 20 minutes or half hour, is what he calls a colloquy. And and colloquy is an English word that comes directly from the underlying Latin word, which simply means to speak with or a conversation. I want to also present this through a lived experience, and so we'll go through the experience, and then look at Ignatius' teaching in the light of it. This is an excerpt from the journal of Thomas Merton on two days before Christmas in 1949, fairly early on in his monastic life. And he's sitting alone in his room on the afternoon, as Christmas is now imminent, and he's looking at a postcard sent to him by a friend. And the image on the postcard is that classic painting of the Annunciation by Fra Angelico, where you see Our Lady sitting in something that looks like a porch with very delicate lines, and you see the angel Gabriel approaching as he is about to announce to her that God is choosing her to be his mother. And he writes this, Fra Angelico's Annunciation on a postcard sent by a friend, late afternoon, 
The quiet of the afternoon is filled with an altogether different tonality from the the sun-filled and energetic morning earlier in the day that he had also described in his journal. The sun has moved altogether around, and the room is darker. It is serious. I take time out to pray, and I look at the angelical picture, feeling like the the end of Advent, which is today. For about eight minutes I stayed silent and didn't move, and listened to the watch, and wondered if perhaps I might not understand something of the work Our Lady is preparing. It is an hour of tremendous expectation. I remember my weariness, my fears, my lack of understanding, my dimness, my sin of overactivity. What is she preparing? What is coming up? She loves me. Her love shapes worlds, shapes history, gives birth to the city of God. I look at the serene, severe porch where Angelico's angel speaks to her. If I may interrupt the account, I think we can sense that this is the contemplative method of prayer with the help of a, of a classic painting of the Annunciation, Merton's own imagination enters into the scene of the angel appearing to Mary. I look at the serene, severe porch where Angelico's angel speaks to her. Angelico knew how to paint her. She is thin, immeasurably noble, and she does not rise to meet the angel. Mother, make me as sincere as the picture all the way down into my soul, sincere, sincere. Let me have no thought that could not kneel before you in that picture, no image, no shadow. I believe you. I am silent. I will act like the picture. It is the end of Advent, and the afternoon is vivid with expectation. Now, if I may again with reverence approach this experience, what I'd I'd like to point out is the shift in the spiritual experience from imaginative engagement with the scriptural mystery, the scriptural event, to direct address, to the moment when Merton actually turns toward Mary, whom he's been contemplating, and begins to speak to her. I look at the serene, severe porch. She is thin, noble. She does not rise. He sees Mary remaining seated as the angel approaches her. There's the imaginative activity, and then the shift as he begins to actually speak to Mary in direct address. Mother, make me as sincere as the picture. All the, can, can, can we sense that he moves from imaginative entry into the gospel event to conversation with the gospel person, in this case, Mary? Now, that's such a natural transition in the prayer that unless we stop, as we've just done, to actually point it out in the text, we hardly even notice that shift. It's such a natural thing for, for our hearts to do as we're contemplating a gospel text. So that, for example, as I'm contemplating the storm at sea and I'm there in the boat and I see the disciples' fear become terror and they make that prayer to Jesus who uh, seems disengaged in their danger in the storm, Lord, save us, we are perishing. It may come very naturally to me to begin to move from imagining that scene to saying, Lord, yes, there are so many storms in my life right now. Lord, save me. I'm perishing. This family situation, the situation at work, this relational situation, this issue of health that I'm facing. That's such a natural thing for our hearts to do that we almost need to point it out in retrospect. But it's valuable for us to do that because when 
in our prayer, we move from the reflective activity of meditation or the imaginative activity of contemplation into direct address, and we begin to speak to the Lord. We begin, in this case, perhaps to speak to Mary, to a person, to one or another of the persons of the Trinity or, or one of the saints. At that point, we have entered into what St. Ignatius calls the colloquy. And that's when we are actually speaking to um, the divine person or perhaps in the communion of saints, one of the saints. Now, this, is, this says something very profound about prayer. We oftentimes describe prayer as conversation with God. I'm sure, Chris, you've heard that. Um, uh-huh. People use that expression to describe prayer. On a very concrete, experiential level, this is what we mean. That is, when I open my heart to the Scripture, I dispose my heart to hear God's Word through reflection or through imaginative activity then God is speaking to me through his word. That's what we mean by calling it the word of God. That's a privileged way in which God speaks to us when we open our hearts to hear that word. When, like Merton, my heart is now moved to speak in response to the word that my heart has received, and I begin to thank the Lord or to ask for a particular grace or express my joy in the Lord or praise of the Lord, now I am speaking to God. And at this point, prayer has become conversation with God. God speaking to me through his word and my own heart in colloquy, in direct address, speaking to God. Whenever our prayer reaches this point, which Ignatius calls colloquy, that my heart spontaneously and naturally, having taken in the word that I've meditated or contemplated, my heart now spontaneously begins to speak in response to the Lord. Then we are at the deep point. Then we are at the center of the prayer. And above all, in this point in prayer, there should be no hurry to go forward until my heart is satisfied. Father Gallagher, there seems to be so much more to this beautiful reflection on meditation and contemplation, the teaching of all this. I look forward to our conversation next week to go even deeper. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our mission. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition with Father Timothy Gallagher.